You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. During congressional testimony last month, now former FBI agent Peter Strzok defended himself repeatedly against accusations of bias against President Trump. I understand that my sworn testimony will not be enough for some people. After all, Americans are skeptical of anything coming out of Washington. But the fact is, after months of investigations, there's simply no evidence of bias in my professional actions. Joining me is Brad Moss, a partner at Mark Zaid. So, Brad, Strzok is now infamous, we might say, for texting negative comments about Trump. But the inspector general found no evidence that bias affected the investigation. And the FBI office that handles employee discipline had only recommended a demotion and a 60-day suspension. So how does this going intervening and firing struck reflect on the FBI? Sure. So it, it was certainly a departure from standard practice, even if it was arguably and quite possibly legal. So FBI employees are, with limited exceptions, basically at-will employees. They don't have any statutory due process protections. They're excluded from the protections that Congress has created to certain, has provided to certain federal employees. They can be fired at will, with or without cause. But the FBI typically, for existing employees, will put them through, before firing them, put them through a disciplinary process with appeal rights, and they go before the Office of Professional Responsibility, and particularly Candace Will, who heads that office. I have been representing individuals before this agency as well as the rest of the intelligence community for 11 years. In 11 years, I've never convinced Candace Will to rescind a proposed termination. She is very strict and has a very high regard for the ethical obligations of the agency. The fact that she was persuaded that Mr. Sorry, that Agent Strzok should not be fired, that she believed the 60-day suspension was sufficient, speaks volumes about the sufficiency of the allegations against him. And the fact that the deputy director intervened to overrule her is very unusual and something I've never seen before. Does So President Trump's been tweeting that this should be the end of the Mueller investigation. Does, does Strzok's firing undercut the Mueller investigation in any way? No, this is just posturing by the president and his legal team. They've been trying to run this line for months now. Peter Strzok was, in his role as a, the counterintelligence chief, the person who initiated the, part, the counterintelligence probe. 
he had that authority. It has since come under different people's authorities. He is, was not running it for a very long time. He was kicked off the Mueller team the moment Mueller learned of the text. His involvement at the beginning in no way renders the rest of the investigation improper just because of his private personal views of the president. This is, this is just posturing for the president's base. It's posturing for the possibility of eventual impeachment proceedings during the next Congress. Nothing more. As a matter of law, there's nothing to this argument. Let's turn now to the first trial for the Mueller team, the Paul Manafort trial. The prosecution rested yesterday after 10 days of testimony from 27 witnesses. Witnesses, the defense rested today without calling any witnesses. This often happens in a defense case, but what do you think about it happening in a case this big with such a high-profile legal team? Yeah, this is not entirely out of the ordinary for a white-collar kind of bank fraud and tax fraud case like what we have here. It's all about documentation. And so what the Manafort defense team is banking on is that there will be at least a sufficient amount of reasonable doubt amongst one or more jurors that even with all this evidence that was presented, that they were able to undercut it enough and justify the jurors refusing to find Mr. Manafort guilty, whether as a outright uniform of a unanimous not guilty verdict or even just a hung jury. That's what they're banking on at this point. There's no real witnesses they would want to risk putting on, especially Mr. Manafort, because they wouldn't want to subject them to cross-examination by the prosecutors. Brad, there was that uh, very strange the other day uh, where the judge had this jury dismissed until the afternoon, and then there was there was a secret, a sealed motion that the defense put forward. Do you have any inkling as to what that may be? Yeah, there was a lot of rumors running around. People were trying to figure out what exactly was going on. There was comments about some one of the security officers had to bring out a juror, uh, jury whiteboard and bring it into the, uh, the judge's chambers. It's not quite clear what occurred. It may have been that there was a concern raised that one of the jurors had been uh, indicating to other jurors that he or she had seen something about the trial on TV, which would be a violation of their obligation while serving on the jury. They're supposed to basically be secluded from the outside world of media. They're not supposed to discuss it with others. They're not supposed to watch TV reports about the trial. It may have been like something along those lines, and there was a discussion about whether or not the juror had to be booted off. But without really knowing, without seeing what was in that sealed motion, we're effectively all speculating. About a minute here. Uh, Tomorrow we're going to have closing arguments. Do you expect anything unusual from either side? Uh, not really, if only because bringing out, if the, if the defense had some smoking gun, some huge piece of evidence, they would have presented it in their case. A, a closing arguments are just about summarizing everything you did already. All the information that was presented for the private prosecutor's side and for the defense, outlining how the prosecutors didn't meet their burden. I don't expect any major fireworks, and I don't expect the jury to take that long to deliberate. Well, we shall see about that. You never know about juries, do you? That's Brad Moss. He's a partner at Mark Zaid. The Securities and Exchange Commission is looking into Tesla's CEO Elon Musk's recent bombshell tweets about potential plans to take Tesla private. Speaking with Bloomberg on Monday, former SEC attorney Teresa Goody discussed the SEC response to Musk's disclosures. Fundamentally, this is a disclosure issue. And I don't think that Twitter should be acceptable for most purposes. It's unreasonable to me for investors to have to troll and look through the social media of all of the different officers and directors of companies. 
Joining me in our Bloomberg 1130 studios in New York is Matt Robinson, Bloomberg News financial regulation reporter. So, Matt, Elon Musk tweets on August 7th that he had funding secured to take Tesla private. That leads to confusion, wild trading. And then in a blog post on Monday, he tries to clarify the tweet. What did he say and did it clarify the funding? So he updated investors with some information about conversations he's had with, uh, you know, sovereign wealth funds in Saudi Arabia um, in terms of like their interest in taking it private. So I think, um, you know, there's obviously been it's only been a week. It feels uh, a bit longer than that since he (laughs) tweeted this. Um, But, you know, what the, the agency and what the SEC folks want to know is what was his intention? Did he really think it was, you know, the funding was secured? Did he did he really have that? Um, and also, the first part of that tweet, it's only a couple of words, but am considering. So this is also something that he's been, you know, it sounds like it's a softer statement. You know, I've had conversations. So what the agency is interested in is, you know, intention. What what did he mean by that? You know, how far along were they? Um, so that's that's the kind of thing that they're, they're focused on because it's a, you know, the SEC is a, they care about, you know, the factual statements that, you know, executives make. So how are they going to find out his intent? So, th- so they're going to look through, they're going to ha- want to talk to individuals at those meetings. What was the context of those meetings? You know, what was discussed? Uh, I mean, were figures, you know, put out? They're also going to be interested in communications he has in, in, in and around that tweet. Any emails tied to these taking the company private, you know, a couple of months ago. They're going to want to see, you know, there's going to be a lot of uh, discoverable evidence in terms of like, you know, what backs this up. So he has his story about, okay, this is this is the timeline of events. These are these are the conversations I had with investors. The SEC is going to want to corroborate all of that. So the SEC started looking into this almost immediately after the tweet. Do you have any insight as to why Musk would have done this? I mean, was he not considering that the SEC is watching? Well, so the uh, SEC has a rule that came out a couple years ago um, about using social media to inform investors, and the agency said it's fine. They said that it's okay. It's 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 something that you you know executives can can use to inform people about uh, their company. So um, you know, I, I think that said, I think if knowing that you can put out a lot of different things on social media, but as I said, you know, they want to make sure that what you're saying, you know, is in fact true. So it's not going to be just a vague or confusing comment. So is the intent that he has to have to manipulate the market? Right, that's it. So it's a pretty high bar in intent to manipulate shares. Because it's like if, you know, often in cases like this, you know, if, if an executive says, oh, I have a contract with ABC company, and the SEC calls that company, and they're like, no, we don't. That that's clear violation, right? Because you said one thing that you had this contract, but you didn't. This funding secured. Okay, well, you had conversations. Was that really, really the case? Did you really have that nailed down? And I mean, when does a does an executive have to make this kind of disclosure? In other words, at what point in the negotiations? Because it doesn't even seem right now like it's nailed down. You know, that's a it's a. You know, materiality, you know, basically to your point about when do you have to tell investors about something important is is very squishy. You know, there there it's just, uh, you know, you can talk to a lot of lawyers about what they think should be disclosed, you know, um, separately, like, you know, when a company's under investigation, some companies never disclose it until they're ready to pay the fine the next day. And some companies do as soon as they get a subpoena. So there's no hard rule. So now, 
what in your report you said the SEC was already investigating Musk or Tesla. What were they investigating him for, or what are they investigating him for? So this is part of a, a longer-standing probe. And and one thing to keep in mind is that these often these take years. I mean, the average SEC investigation takes two years um, because they have a lot of evidence to gather. They have to you know they fight with defense attorneys about what they're going to get. You know, then they have to digest it. So they've been you know from our reporting we've uh, we've we've said that they've been looking at just sort of general. Um, you know, general statements by the executives. I mean, even before last week, there was a lot of questions about production of Model 3s and, you know, you know how viable it was to hit some of these aggressive sales targets. There are also lawsuits by shareholders already over the tweet. Tell me about those. So it's, those are, um, you know, sort of expected every time you have like a big event or, you know, a lot of um, you know, kind of the market goes haywire. There are some class action lawyers who want to see if there's they can bring bring a case. So they're going to be looking. They use the same securities laws, obviously, as the SEC does. So they're going to be trying to make a similar case. Tell me more about the what what's called the Reed Hastings rule, how it came about, and why the SEC thinks you know that tweets are okay. So a couple of years ago, uh, Reed Hastings, uh, you know, of Netflix put out some information on Facebook about, I think, um, you know, movie subscribers and how, you know, it was sort of exceeding expectations. That that created a lot of questions about, you know, was he able to do that? Should he have put that into an 8K? So the SEC said, no, that that's fine. You know, the agency is trying to say, you know, you know, you don't have to put it all in a company document. You know, at, I think from their standpoint, they say, you know, if it's, it's in the public realm, maybe more people are going to see it anyway, rather than digging it up uh, in an SEC filing. Now, if Musk, if this really gets going, this going private uh, initiative, would an SEC investigation hold that up? No, um, I, I, you know, even if, say, for instance, you know, he, he takes the company private next month, say, say that happens. Anything that, you know, this investigation would continue because the statements he made was while the company was public. So I don't I don't foresee any issues where the SEC is going to hold things up. They just want to make sure that all the disclosures, what Musk is telling investors, you know, is factually accurate. So what what's the timeline now? What what's happening at at Tesla as far as going private? You're smiling. (laughs) And, and, uh, you know, what's the timeline if you know? Like in terms of the timeline of a buyout, it's, it sounds like um, you know there's, they're very far away from getting sort of any sort of contingency or any sort of plan on that. I mean, in terms of the SEC, you know, they're it's very early stages. You know, they're they they need you know, for instance, as I said, they had a meeting with Saudi um, sovereign wealth fund. Well, you can't just subpoena someone you're foreign national. You have to go, you know, you have to see. Okay, well, what can I get information? You know, how am I? So that alone, just getting them to talk to you, that's going to take a while. So there's a lot of information. They still have to wrap their arms around. And what about the board of directors? In about 15 seconds, what what are they? How are they reacting? And what are they doing? So they're looking at, um, you know, setting up a committee about set, uh, about doing a, pot, a potential uh, a buyout. Okay, thanks so much, Matt. That's Matt Robinson, Bloomberg News financial regulation reporter. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. 
Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.